Hey everyone, Devin Haru from CBC Sports. Not sure what sporting event I'll be at next, but I'll sure to take you on the journey. And as always, as I say, buckle up. You're listening to the stars of the show on the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Colbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Niemals Bruce, and I'm joined by the Mr. Kobe Durant, aka Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. Fantastic. I was in the simulator today, and I was swinging full out for the first time since tearing the muscle in my leg, and I felt no pain whatsoever from it. And I was hammering them out there, so I feel I feel solid. I'm looking forward to the golf season. Excellent. Well, we're going to be talking about a sport that involves a swing similar to golf at some point. But before we get into that, let's bring in our other co-host, the one that makes us a trio, not a duo. It is Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how are you? Oh, living the dream. Can't complain. Didn't go to any simulators, but I have been using VR to escape to uh, London recently. London, Ontario or London, England? London, England, but uh, (laughs) London, Ontario would make me sad if I went there. (laughs) I don't think London, Ontario is an option. Could you imagine? (laughs) It's like the Canadian VR. (laughs) Just like Brampton, London, like all... I've got to check, man. I always got to check when someone says London because, like, it's, it's almost always London, Ontario. Anyway, that's a pleasant surprise. And London is the the birthplace of cricket. And someone who's joined us to talk about that sport and more, it is a gentleman who writes on the Raptors for Raptors.com and also at cbcsports.ca. It is Mr. Vivek Jacob. Vivek, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure to have you on. Now, mate, you have a unique, uh, I guess, coverage in in the sense that you cover the this who happen to be who have never logo that is a red ball, and mm-hmm. then you cover the sport which is dominated by the red ball in cricket. Tell us a <laughs> bit about how that came about. Yeah, well, it's all about you know just how I grew up. I didn't grow up in Canada. I came to Canada when I was sixteen years old, and so for the first sixteen years of my life, I grew up around cricket, tennis soccer as it's called here for 16 years of my life all I did was call it football and so once I came to Canada that's when I really embraced basketball and so that's how I guess I have this I guess eclectic taste in sports there we go I still call it football by the way so it's a safe space you can call it football no one's going to attack you here maybe Justin (laughs) but it's all good so yeah so from those beginnings here we are today and we are unfortunately in the midst of a raptors downswing where they are seemingly in one of the worst seasons since the infamous tampa season mm-hmm. i'm not going to get into the trade deadline too much because unless Thank you've you. got mess- <laughs> yeah unless you've got messiah bobby west on the phone it's kind of prognosticating into the void so but tell us what's your take on the raptors both what we've seen so far and what we're going to see going forward. Yeah, I think so far, you know, the Raptors tried to continue leaning into the vision that they've had, that vision 6-9 and seeing how far it can take them. Obviously, there were a lot of positives coming out of the 2021-22 season uh, in the back half. They had that tremendous run to get a guaranteed playoff spot and then gave it a pretty good run against Philly as well in the first round. I would have loved to see that series shake out with the, you know, Gary Trent Jr. not falling sick and Fred Van Vliet being healthy and Scotty Barnes not hurting his ankle. I think uh, you might have had a different result, but that's the way it played out. And I think the Raptors were hoping for a lot of internal development coming into this season. And for a multitude of reasons, we've seen different players excel at different points of the season but not all of it come together and that is why they sit at 25 and 30 in the standings and have the sixth worst record in the league 
and yet are a half game out of uh, a play-in spot and, you know, got to weigh up which way they want to go in the next couple of days. Indeed, and it is a unique position, but at the same time, either way, which way they go, whether they, you know, go for it, if you will, or whether they choose to reload the clip for a future season, I, I don't think it's really a bad thing. I think they're well positioned, believe it or not. Would you agree with that? I think they've got to make at least one move before the deadline for me to feel like they're well positioned going into the summer. Because I think if you go into the summer with sort of the pressure of having to re-sign Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet, and then also find ways to improve the roster or make tweaks that make things fit better, then I think that's a lot to accomplish in one summer. So I think they need to take the burden off a little bit in these next couple of days and get ahead of themselves and in, in maybe doing a transaction or two and build themselves up for the summer. But uh, overall, if they if they do that before the deadline, then I think they'll be in a good position going into the summer. All right. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Vivek, did you play sports growing up? Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I say that, you know, I grew up around cricket and soccer and tennis, like I used to play cricket for my school, soccer for my school, tennis. So I guess being in the British system, we had houses within our school as well. You know, the Harry Potter style, Gryffindor and Slytherin mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so I played tennis for my house and I was on my school track team as well. So juggling all of that as a kid was a lot of fun. You know, uh, I think all of that has just taken my passion for sports uh, to probably an unhealthy level. Okay. Why, what sports stars did you idolize growing up? Whew, sports stars I idolized growing up. So I guess I'll go by sport. Okay. Uh, so cricket, obviously, uh, being Indian, Sachin Tendulkar was just next level. Um, must watch every time. And then tennis, I'll go with Andre Agassi. I was a huge Andre Agassi fan uh, growing up and watching him. <laughs> <laughs> and then let's see. Soccer, honestly, uh, there were probably a few. Like just loving that sport so much. I'll say R9, Brazil's Ronaldo, uh, for sure. Uh, watching Zinedine Zidane at, in his prime. And then, you know, mention a bunch of Manchester United guys. One of them I definitely won't mention anymore as much as I enjoyed watching him play uh, in his prime. He's turned out to be quite the douchebag. So I'm sure you guys can figure out who that is. 100%. We know who it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, those are are probably my biggest idols growing up. Okay. Agassiz, eh? Agassiz. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I think that's also translated into why I've become a Novak Djokovic fan as well. Is like I think I really loved uh, players who had a really strong return game. Um, and I know back then it was all about the serve bots and Goran Ivanisevic and Patrick Rafter. Um, but I think seeing the guys who could, you know, do the stuff that I guess wasn't as common in terms of like having the strong return game, having a strong backhand. Those are the kind of guys I'd gravitated towards. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I was a pistol peak guy. So I was on the other side nice. of the, the net really, but, but, uh, well, you enjoyed the better of that rivalry. That's for that, sure. That's for sure. That's for sure. I can't comment on the cricketeer though. I don't know that much about it, but maybe knee can knee is, is that a name you recognize? Yes, it does bring back some PTSD because <laughs> I grew up in Australia, I, which also has the British system. So, yeah, I mean, Sachin Tendulkar, I don't know what his nickname is, but in Australia, his nickname was the Little Master. And there's a yep. good reason for that because he would come out, he's short in stature, but he knew how to blast the ball to all parts of the field. And I'm reading Adam Gilchrist, the former wicketkeeper's biography and he's talking about how there was a stretch in the 90s into the early 2000s where Sachin against Australia is like book this guy in for a century he's just gonna whack McGrath and warn to all parts of the ground he does not care about their reputations he's just he just loved his cricket he loved um, batting and even in the mid to late 90s he was a pretty handy bowler as well so 
Mm-hmm. I respected by everyone, but disliked by those who weren't um, having him on their team because he was just so good. Nice, nice. So, aside from the Raptors, do you also follow their 905 Raptors too? Yeah, actually, in terms of getting my start, I covered a lot of the 905 uh, in like just my initial work for Raptors Republic. That's where I really started to cover the Raptors as a whole. And it started with the 2017-18 season, which was when Pascal and Fred were there and Jerry Stackhouse was the coach and they went on to win the G League championship. So that was pretty cool. That's pretty good because I'm in Mississauga, so the 905 is in my backyard for the most part. So that season, I was actually there quite often because it was not the inaugural season, but tickets were still like fairly cheap. cheap. Yeah. So you can be like, oh, $15, you're basically courtside. (laughs) Let's (laughs) go. (laughs) So a bunch of my friends and I would go and we're like, who are these two-way contract players? Pat who and Fred who? And that was a good time. (laughs) But anyways. The current situation with the Raptors right now isn't isn't giving us much hope. However, if we look over to the 905, who are fourth in the East there, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on everything happening down there? Yeah, I think overall, you know, I think Eric Curry's had an interesting experience. Obviously, they're trying to transition him into the role that he most wants. And they're, you know, happy to let him coach the way that he wants to coach. I think he understands that, you know, as much of a data guy he is he understands the nuances of the game and the intangibles and how to communicate uh, with players and uh, i remember even in his opening press conference he talked about how listen you can have all the data (laughs) you want but at the end of the day if you can't communicate with players you're not going to be able to get anything done and so yeah i i think you know in terms of story of the season you're probably looking at reggie perry and the things he's done he's just been absolutely Mm -hmm. dynamite uh, and so, uh, I think he's been really interesting to watch besides that, probably if precious Achua, uh, wasn't injured, Christian Coloco would have more reps with, with the 905 by now. And it's good to see him getting that opportunity. Now, David Johnson, obviously, you know, if you're looking at the Raptors overall history with the 905, that's a, probably a player that you looked at and thought, okay, can the 905 kind of turn him into something and uh, eventually get to the NBA level and be a contributor. That's not looking very likely. Just Mm -hmm. defensively, I don't think he's anywhere near where he needs to be. And yeah, uh, I mean, I could probably go down the list. Delano Banton, probably the one you look at and say, you know, why isn't that success at the 905 level translating to the NBA yet? That was my my thought too. So uh, I actually got to work the Pascal Siakam Halloween party this year. So I got to meet all the Raptors and some of the 905 came too. Uh, This is back when Kalonka was playing for the Raptors before he got kind of pushed down to the G League there. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's he's a very like humble dude. He's a very, very sweet guy. Yeah. And when we're sitting there kind of shooting the breeze, he was just like, he's like, man, he goes, I have to get more aggressive. And I was working security. So I'm like, why are you you talking to me about this? Oh, okay. But he was just like venting, just casually talking. I think he had a couple drinks and I was just a random security <laughs> guard who would sit there and like listen to him talk. But he was just like, no, I need to I need to put on some more muscle and I need to be more dominant. So when he got put down to the G League, it's nice to see that he's leading the 905 in both rebounds and blocks. Mm. And in terms of like actual points per game, he's, he's, not, he's not doing too bad. I mean, he's averaging almost 14. So do you think we're going to see a resurgence from him next year? Do you feel like he's kind of the one to keep our eye on? I think for sure he's one to watch out for. I think he has, you know, the, a really good understanding of the game. I think he, the, the physical attributes, I think he makes a good assessment. He definitely needs to bulk up. You see inside, uh, you know, that he can get pushed around a bit. You can see, you know, in terms of his strength going up, uh, finishing around the basket, he's not quite where he needs to be. And so, if he can do those things, he'll be in better shape for next season. And again, this is a player that came to basketball late, right? And so uh, yeah. I think there's both advantages and disadvantages that come with that. And I think in terms of his movement, having played soccer growing up, I think you see the advantages there uh, for someone so big uh, and long. And you see the disadvantages in terms of his 
rawness and uh, just to, you know, needing to get up to speed with understanding how the game works. And so I think he will definitely be a good player for the Raptors. Uh, at the very least, I expect him to be uh, a rotation player and a big that regularly contributes off the bench. I think his ceiling probably is being a regular starter uh, at the NBA level. You know, I think it's probably too soon to think that he could be like an all-star or anything like that. But if he could just be someone that is consistently protecting the rim, you know, foul trouble is something he's got to learn to be better at. But at the same time, I think some of that is just him getting rookied this season. I think he's had several plays where he's just been rookied and hasn't got the calls. And I think as referees get used to him and his name becomes bigger, that'll be better for him too. My thoughts exactly. Yeah, you you touched on the just switching gears for a moment for, to another team that wears red and black. You touched on the fact that you're a Man United fan, and to be honest, I thought Kobe was going to cut the interview because we're all <laughs> yeah. we are all Arsenal fans here. So um, I don't know how you snuck in, but anyway, you're already here. So <laughs> no, we'll let it, it's all good. Um, it's all good. There is talk but just quickly. Today, you know, I, I think that added so much more to my fandom, just those formative years watching the best of United, the best of Arsenal, just go back and forth. Yeah. The first year that I was like genuinely a fan was when um, Arsenal won the title the year before United won the treble. And it's yeah. so funny because when you're a kid, you think it's the end of the world and you're like never going to have a chance like this again. And then lo and behold, the next year they go and win the treble and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I think, you know, all of that, you know, I have so much respect for Arsenal as well, just because uh, in terms of international soccer, I'm a Dutch fan. And there you go. Look at, and and in, in terms of some of the Dutch players that come that have come through uh, Arsenal, obviously Dennis Bergkamp and Mark Overmars and yeah. obviously Robin Van Persie, like uh, – there's, uh, I, I definitely have a soft spot for that part of it. And I mentioned my favorite players. I mean, Thierry Henry, watching him as a kid was just next level. Just incredible. All right. Oh, those are the days. Blah, blah, boom. I mean, <laughs> depending on what the, the Premier League decides to do with Man City for what they've done over the last, you know, 15 years or so, we could have another United Arsenal title race. But I guess we'll leave that to them. I know that. There'll be lawyers at nine paces, and there's so many ranges of outcomes there. But um, I just wanted to ask, are you happy with the way United have been going this season with under Eric Ten Hag? Yeah, for sure. I can't complain. I think they're ahead of schedule, if you ask me. I would not have expected uh, Eric Ten Hag to have had this much of an impact this quickly. I've, I have a lot of faith in him as a manager. I, I In fact, I thought so highly of him. My Dutch side was almost rooting for him to not go to United because I thought United would be a terrible place. Uh, and, you know, he'd just end up like the rest of the managers. Now, with the potential sale of the club in the summer, he might have arrived at the absolute perfect time. And so I think getting some of the pieces that he needed, whether it be Lissandro Martinez or uh, Casemiro, obviously they've had huge influences. Christian Eriksen, obviously before the injury, was dynamite. And so I think. The club is absolutely headed in the right direction, and hopefully a sale happens in the summer and we can be done with the Glazers, and then I will really, really believe that uh, they're on the right track. <laughs> yes. Um, you can't always choose your owners, um, but <laughs> I know that only too well. But at the same time, uh, next time you and I talk, we'll be talking cricket, so get ready. But in the meantime, you touched on Oranye. I know Kobe's excited. I'm sure he wants to ask you about the World Cup and all that good stuff. So get in there, Kobe. <laughs> no, you made a good point. I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan because of the the Dutch connection, right? My father is from the Netherlands. He played for the under-21s, and they had so wow. many great Dutch players on Arsenal. That's why I started becoming. That's why I became an Arsenal fan. That's that's where it began for me. So I I get the connection. I also like the refreshing take you have on on Man United situation because too often you hear Man fans just it's like at the top or nowhere so the fact that you yeah. look at it like we're in, going in the right direction you can't expect everything at once and I fully agree with you I think they are doing things right so I'm not a Man U fan but I do like what they're doing with the 
the franchise. So I, I, I get that. I'm not going to bring up the World Cup because of what a travesty and joke it was, but <laughs> so I had a pass on that, actually. And I will apologize for Justin's manner earlier. He seemed a bit harsh with you, so we'll just get that out of the way. He didn't mean to be. It's just his nature. Oh, no. I'm, I'm here for all the better. Don't worry. <laughs> now, Vivek, do you, did you follow uh, – actually, even before we get to that, what do you think of the WNBA coming to Toronto? I think it's amazing. I, I think, you know, having that sort of showcase – and hopefully it'll be sold out and uh, you'll have a real buzz uh, around the city for the game. I know it's obviously a preseason game, but I think if you can create an amazing atmosphere that will really get stakeholders looking at Toronto as a potential you know, franchise location, I think that'll be huge. And I definitely think obviously this city uh, has the market for it and I think it'll be it'll do really well. And so, yeah, hopefully, you know, the turnout and the environment and atmosphere is in accordance with what we've known with uh, sports in this city. Yeah, I think the the example that we have with the Raptors alone, and I, I think that community itself will probably get behind it. I can't see it not selling out. What do you think, me? Yeah, I think it's huge for the city. I think this is really like a like you say, it's a it's a rehearsal, it's an audition for. A potential franchise. I guess it's also a test of how the how the logistics works because one of the I guess barriers that we've heard in the past has been the fact that with Toronto you do have to cross the border, and given that the players have to fly commercial, there's going to be uh, potential logistical issues there. I mean, maybe this will hopefully be a push to get teams to encourage chartered flights, and maybe yeah. the owners can come to an agreement on that. But Again, like I said, you can't choose your owners. There could be one or two that are going to have selfish ambitions, but it is what it is. Right, Kobe? Yeah. I mean, that's what you're kind of hoping for, right? You're just hoping to see the league make advancements any way it can. And if coming here helps it along, then so be it. All the better for everyone, I think. Now, what I really want to ask you, Vivek, was looking at the Raptors themselves, if you could pick three players, and I'll say two of which have to be current Raptors. The one could be somebody on the 905 team, could be someone else entirely, could be maybe a rookie prospect. Who would you, if you had the GM hat, want to build the franchise around going toward the future? Uh, 100% uh, Scotty Barnes. Okay. You said all current players, right? Oh, no, two would have to be current. The third one could be a current player or it could be somebody off the 905, could be a rookie prospect, whatever. Got it, got it, got it. So, yeah, I'll go with Scotty Barnes. Um, this is a tough one. Give me Precious Achua. Okay. And, wow, this is a really interesting Colunco. question. <laughs> Coloco would be a good option. Um, I'll go with Scoot Henderson. Wow, you thought long and hard about that. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I know. I, I appreciate the fact that you put some real work into it. I'm sure Justin's happy you didn't say Pascal Siakam, right, Justin? <laughs> I mean, yeah, for the most part, yeah. <laughs> Justin is not a, a Siakam believer, although he is starting to come around. So. I should say I am a huge Pascal Siakam believer, mm -hmm. and I think he's a really good player. Uh, in terms of tiers, I'd probably say he's a 1B, and I think the reason I didn't include him was because if you map out what a pairing of Scotty and Pascal would be like uh, going forward, you have to recognize whether or not you think their primes will align mm -hmm. and how long their primes will align for. And so I think it's reasonable to say that if you think you should build around Scotty and Pascal, you are assuming that they will both be top 20 players together at some point yeah. because you're not contending without that. And so for me, I see potentially a year where that happens. And so that's just at best too. And that's just too small a window for me. Uh, and so, yeah, that's why I didn't include him. Do you play fantasy? Fantasy basketball, yeah, I do. Okay, and is is that how you go about building your teams? Uh, so so I don't. I've never actually played dynasty mode. Okay, okay, yeah. So, 
probably renders the question mute. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that kills that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. So let, let me, let me explain my, my Pascal Siakam stance on this because <laughs> it, it all stemmed with knee and I actually got to speak with Pascal at his party and uh, he, he kind of understood where I was coming from. So it was nice. Also, I'm security, so he wasn't going to kick me out. He hired me. <laughs> but pretty <laughs> but pretty much what it was, I said, I feel like we should not have given Pascal the max contract. Um, I felt like there was more he had to prove before that was given, and I felt like it should have gone to Van Fleet over Siakam. And Nee got his wombats in a knot and got very <laughs> upset with me. So uh, <laughs> ever since that day, it just stemmed from, I don't think it should be a, a – uh, like, I don't think we should pay him for all that money to, oh my God, you hate Pascal Siakam, get out of this country, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've just rolled with it and played the villain. <laughs> so, like, I never I, I never thought he was a bad player. I just didn't think he was worth all that money. Hold and when on, I was talking to him about on, the pot. Hold on. Was, You're totally disregarding me side of things. You're completely disregarding me side. <laughs> Let him finish. But, but it's one Let him finish. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Nee. Thank you. Um, and then when I got to talk to him at, at his party thing, I, we were talking about the podcast and I he asked if we brought up basketball and I said, yeah. And we discussed the legitimacy of your contract. And he's like, and basically he said in short, he feels like because of the pandemic, he hasn't proved himself since signing the contract. At best, he was wishy-washy last year, but keep in mind the year before that they were playing outside of Canada, which I never bought as an excuse. I'm like, if you're a max contract player, you're playing the best all the time, every mm-hmm. time. I didn't tell him that personally because he's like six seven and was staring down at me. <laughs> I was like, "You did invite me to your party." So, um, but anyways, so that was kind of my my issue with that is I felt like we gave him the contract a bit too early. So, my issue just in general with this is like how we define max contracts, and okay. so for me, when someone gets four years one thirty, which is the max they're eligible for after their rookie contract, to me, that's not an actual max contract. It's the maximum that they're eligible for, but Mm -hmm. I only define max contracts as, you know, those five years, 180, and then with the super max, you go up to 250. You know, those are the max contracts for me. And so for Pascal, that to me was, you know, perfectly fair for what he had showed, what the potential he showed. And you look at the fact that you know, he's made two all NBA teams. I think that speaks for itself. I think he should have made it this year, personally. I feel like he did better than he has before. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Collect and trade officially licensed digital player cards with other fans in our open marketplace. Create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. So Rare is a game that you can play this season and the next and the next and the next. It's almost like a, a dynasty spin on fantasy. It's available in formats such as NBA, MLB, and also football, the world game. So what are you waiting for? Get involved. Get in the game. Get some cards and have some fun. All you have to do is sign up, create an account, and then you can start playing. And if you want to purchase some limited rare or unique cards you can do that too but at a base level this is really just a free fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports because process podcasters we know our thing but so rare is a chance to go up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room so hit the link in the show notes and we'll see you on so rare own your game uh, but also uh, with his contract, wasn't that in reflection to him also playing for the 905? So he was like homegrown or something? Um, no, it, it, that's just, I mean, obviously what that's all part of his journey, but in terms of the contract he earned, that, that was just like you, like Jalen Brown was pretty much eligible for the same money, right? Uh, so I think that's just how it works in terms of the rookie scales, uh, I mean, or beyond the rookie scale rather. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, you just have to like maintain the asset at worst, right? And I think that's something the Raptors have generally done a good job of, uh, you know, championship team aside and those guys departing mm-hmm. for nothing. But if you look on the whole, they usually do a good job of saying, okay, 
regardless of you know what we think this player's ceiling is we are going to maintain the asset and then if the right time comes we are going to trade them and hope to upgrade the roster that way interesting now to kind of double down on that trade thing for a quick second there would the raptors ever trade from their 905 pool like in and so let's say for instance like uh, somebody comes along for let's say somebody wants siakam at this trade deadline for whatever reason or van fleet has been linked to to i believe Brooklyn mm-hmm. would ever be like, yeah, you get Van Vliet and then like Jeff Downton or something like would that. Would that be a plausible trade for the Raptors? Right. So, so essentially it, it's only the NBA contracts that are trade eligible. And so, and I believe Downton's on a two way deal, I believe. Exactly. So yeah. him and Ron Harper Jr. would be the two guys from the 905 level that would be eligible. Um, okay. and then, yeah, I mean, we we can send Ron Harper too, can't we? I mean, <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't done much to really impress me yet at the 905 yeah. level either. But, that, uh, that's definitely what KD is looking for, for title contention this year. A hundred percent. Him and Ron Harper, I can see it right now. Hey, I, I'm a Brooklyn fan, so I'll be okay with that. And Vivek, you can come on the show anytime. After that explanation, <laughs> you can come on the show anytime. That's perfect. I think, honestly, I do think many Raptors fans missed that nugget regarding the contracts. Um, I think there are some talking heads or some analysts out there in local media who have, maybe they've taken like a NHL approach to the contract, and it, I think it was blown out of proportion. And then you have the fact that Siakam was playing a season in Tampa, which we all know was not great. Mm-hmm. I will contend as well that he's still developing. The, the guy didn't took up the ball a lot later than most of his peers around the same time. But <laughs> yeah, I think he's, I think in terms of asset, there's been an appreciation in the last season or two and right up until now. So I feel like the Raptors are getting value for money. Um, would you agree with that? Or do you think they, they should still be expecting more from Siakam? I think they've gotten value for money. I think the other thing that maybe gets overlooked is, you know, everyone kind of looks at his 2019-20 season as a mess because of what they remember about the bubble. But he he had 60 very, very good games before the pandemic hit. And that's how he made his first All-NBA team. And so, uh, you know, I, I would have loved to see that world in which uh, – you know, we don't go through what we did the last couple of years and that Raptors team actually gets to defend its title on their home floor. But if you look at it on the whole, yeah, absolutely. The Tampa season was uh, below par. The bubble was below par. That's the worst we've seen of Pascal Siakam. But outside of that, you look at last season, this season, I think he's been tremendous. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, you can always balance that out with his first contract and say, you know, you got way above value in terms of what he earned <laughs> yeah. uh, there. And that's the thing, like him and his representation, they would have gone into the table with Webster and in the sign, they would have said exactly that, that this is what he delivered on his rookie contract and pay him accordingly. I guess that's just, that's just business. That's good business. But let's switch gears. Let's switch, switch to a different kind of business. The business of the red bull or the white bull. Whichever you prefer. Which form of Actually, cricket do just you Just quickly, mm. just quickly on that note, I want to just add 2018-19 when he was the second leading scorer on a championship team, he made $1.5 million. Yeah. So, I, I think in terms of, uh, you know, equating out what you got value for and what you didn't, it's probably worked out pretty good for the Raptors. Right. I mean, $130 million to have for a banner that's already raised. And when you look at what some franchises are going through, some franchises that have never seen that, and some are going through generational droughts, I think that's a worthy investment. But um, yeah, cricket. Let's talk some cricket. The Red Ball. Which, yeah, Red Red Ball was the original. For our listeners that aren't uh, familiar with the sport, it, it's a, a game that started with the Red Ball version, which is known as Test Cricket. Nowadays, we have two other forms, which are limited overs in the form of one-day cricket, which is typically 50 overs, and also T- T20, 2020 cricket, both mm-hmm. utilizing the white ball. So, Vivek, which form of cricket do you prefer? Ooh, 
I have to say I was definitely one of those, you know, get off my lawn types when T20 cricket first came to be. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I've definitely come around to it. And I really appreciate what this game is about. And I love the way I love the potential it has to have global appeal and become a truly global sport in terms of participation. And, you know, hopefully the T20 World Cup being held across the US and the West Indies goes a long way in popularizing it, uh, you know, around these parts and, you know, potentially having it in the Olympics in 2028 would be massive as well. I love test cricket in terms of the white ball formats. I probably say I I still prefer uh, ODI cricket to T20 cricket. I just think it's the perfect blend of test cricket and T20 cricket because you have those phases where, you know, you've got to manage the game and you've got to be disciplined, but then you've also got those phases where, you know, you've got to go gung ho and make the most of whatever's left. What about you? I'll probably be in a similar lane to yourself. I've probably still got the hose in my hand when it comes to the get off my lawn with the T20. I'm still, <laughs> still a bit of a purist with test cricket, but um, I recognize its worth. I mean, when I watch test cricket, I remember those matches. They're memorable. One day cricket, especially if it's a World Cup, mm-hmm. I remember those matches. T20, if you ask me in a few months or a year, I'm probably not going to remember unless it's like a, a big tournament final. But like right. you said, it, it is it does make the game a bit more accessible, especially in, in a market like North America. So I, I definitely see its place and it, it does belong. It's it is here to stay. I accept that. I <laughs> guess my question to you, Vivek, is as someone who didn't grow up in this part of the world, but grew up with cricket, how would you I guess give someone the cliff notes on this fine yet misunderstood sport? Yeah, so I think the main complaint I hear is that obviously, number one, people say it's too long. And that's exactly why T20 cricket exists now. You're talking about a game that runs about three-ish hours, which is not too far off baseball. So that takes care of that. And then I think the other complaint is people will say, oh my God, there's so many rules. And my counter to that is the game is as simple as, as you want it to be in any sport. And it's as complicated as you want it to be in any sport. Take basketball, for example. We could make it as simple as just saying, hey, you got to put the ball in the hoop and you go back and forth and whoever finishes up with the most points wins. Or if someone was a newbie to it and you start talking to them about, you know, three in the key and eight second violation and (laughs) triangle offense. Yeah. And the take foul and all of that. Right. (laughs) Now it's like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? So I think the same way in cricket, if you just get out there and say, hey, there's two batters, there's a bowler, there's fielders all around, and and the team with the most runs wins, that's the simple way of looking at it. And then as you get into the sport and figure stuff out, you can get more technical and and detailed. And then then you'll, you know, I think that's just natural with any sport. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, one thing that cricket has that some other sports don't have is the idea of home field advantage, genuine home field advantage. We're not talking about people in the stands. I'm talking about something that I've never had a problem with, but I, I did see a tweet, uh, I think it was in December. I thought it was very uh, succinct and to the point. It was touching on cricket pitches. So, I think some people have been whinging that in the subcontinent, Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, that the pitches aren't fair. I say fair in it uh, in in quotes because, again, if you're traveling to a, someone's country, they're gonna make the pitch to their to favor their team, aren't they? Like Australia's yep. been doing that for generations. Uh, so I don't I don't get why there's such a storm in a teacup. But tech, give us your take on that. Yeah, no, I I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh, if you look at pitches in Australia, England, New Zealand, South Africa. They favor pace, and so they've produced great pace bowlers over the years, uh, fast bowlers, if you will, and they've also produced batsmen who are very capable against pace and fast bowling and are very well equipped in playing the hook shot, the pull shot, uh, you know, cutting, 
those types of skills that you need on those pitches. And and then when you come to the subcontinent, that's where it favors spin. And so I just look at it as those two differences, as opposed to, you know, people will say, oh, this makes for bad cricket and teams are getting out so quickly and matches are ending within two days sometimes or three days and that's bad for the sport. And it's like, okay, well, no one seemed to be making that case when India was bundled out for, you know, what was it, 38 a year ago in Australia. And so I feel like these things happen when subcontinental teams come to, I guess we, we call it the Cena pitches, South Africa, England, New Zealand, and Australia. And, and when that happens, it's no problem. It's, it's oh, wow, look at the swing this bowler is generating. All, all those skills are appreciated. But all of a sudden, you come to the other side, and obviously, you know, there's pretty blatant reasons for why seem to uh, people seem to think uh, that way from those parts of the world. And, yeah. you know, hopefully the more uh, teams, I, I think that's where the IPL helps as well, right? Where you get, you know, back in the day, Australians used to complain about how difficult it was to be in India and play an entire series yeah. there and have yeah, to live yeah. in the country. Uh, I wasn't so, one of those. I, <laughs> I have third world origins. I don't, I don't see me whining about food or heat conditions. I'm, I'm better than that. <laughs> and, and, you know, now having experienced the IPL and now it's been more of an approach of saying, okay, well, you know what? I'm getting paid really well. I'm going to be here for a long time. I might as well try and make the most of it. And all of a sudden... Uh, they're trying uh, the biryani and the w whatever other dishes they they want to enjoy, and it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. This is actually pretty good. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, I I think we'll, we'll we'll come back to the IPL in a second, but the way you closed your tweet, I think, was very um, it was nice to, to put it that way. Because if I if I give a baseball analogy, this is like um, batting left handed at Yankee Stadium with a short porch or pitching at uh, Chorus Field, which is has its altitude and it is known for high-scoring games. It's like, if you don't like it, get players that are better suited to those conditions. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to change the rules in that aspect because I think having different pitches is good. It, it helps players get better. They, they, they add more strings to their bow. Yeah, it, it was kind of a tired argument, so I, I did like the tweet on that. Now, thank you. you mentioned the IPL. Uh, that was, I guess, the that has been the crown jewel of T20 cricket. It's it's where all the players flock to, and it's in a staple of the men's game. In March this year, we get the women's IPL, the first ever women's yep. IPL happening. How important is that to, I guess, the development of women's cricket and also, I guess, women getting paid? I think it's critical. I think I think it's a huge moment for women's cricket. And I think even in watching the Indian women have big matches, you know, I think about when they got to the final of the World Cup uh, against, well, the T20 World Cup against Australia, the uh, one-day World Cup final that they played against England. And then even if you look at the Commonwealth Games uh, final that they played, uh, against Australia again and all three finals are pro probably matches they'll look back and think they could have won but I think they showed uh, a lack of experience in pressure situations that both Australia and England took advantage of and I think this is where in an IPL setting where you're put under pressure constantly in such a short format and those situations kind of become normalized, I think it'll have a huge impact on skill sets in those moments. And I think that's where it'll help Indian cricket greatly. And then again, if you get the attention, you get the buzz, that's when, you know, those pockets seem to show up and, you know, dole out the cash. And I think in terms of earning more money, I think that's a huge thing as well. Obviously, uh, I think, uh, we saw with the BCCI, uh, the Indian uh, women uh, are receiving equal pay as the men. And I think that's a huge step uh, in, in terms of equality in the sport. And 
things like the IPL, having that for the women's game is only going to further enhance that. Wow. I didn't know there was equal pay. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Now, just for throw you to Justin, give us a quick bowl prediction for the men's pre-World Cup. Who's taking it out in 2023? Um, I want to say India. Just, you, you know, I think the home advantage, I, I think as much as, you know, India deserves criticism for uh, losing the big matches, I do think they've had uh, a bit of bad luck as well. I think when you look at this most recent T20 World Cup to have Jasprit Bumrah, your best fast bowler, and Ravi Jadeja, your best all-rounder injured before the tournament, uh, I think those are two huge losses. I look at the 2019 World Cup where they looked very good and then Shikhar Dhawan um, had an injury and he was out for the tournament and all of a sudden you have to adjust your top order. I, I thought that hurt them. So I'm hopeful that... Uh, you know, in home conditions, the depth will be stronger. Um, and I think they've got a good blend of experience and youth. So I, I would say that they're the favorites. And, you know, I, I think in subcontinental conditions as well, I'll probably lean towards Pakistan as well, uh, being up there. And I have a soft spot for South Africa, I have to say. I've always wanted to see them do well. I mean, obviously, you would never pick them to win a World Cup with the history that they've had. But I think if they can get the pieces together, I, I think they've got some good up-and-comers. I, I, they've played England in the current series uh, that they have going on right now very well. And so I think they could be a, sort of a dark horse to watch out for. Mm. Now, South Africa, yes, you're right. They are yet to win the big one, whether it be a, uh, a cricket world your cup. Or we'll get to that in a second. Give me a moment. All right. um, <laughs> I will point out that South Africa has won a Commonwealth Games gold medal. As yes. The one and only, yes. as, as it were, in 1998 in Kuala Lumpur, which kind of sparked the Australian, uh, it kind of woke up the beast, if you will, because they were so complacent throughout that tournament. Anyway, who are my picks? It is hard to look past India uh, on home soil and... As much as I want to say that Australia will be up there, I, I think there's still a bit of regeneration going on with the team. You know, this. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't know if you you say regeneration. I don't know if you saw Aaron Finch uh, just retired. That's right. He retired a few hours ago. So, you know, they got a, David David Warner's almost out the door. It's it's a new uh, set of guys coming in from that perspective. New Zealand, I think it's New Zealand is always a team we need to look at. I know that they just yeah. played a series out there, and maybe they're a little bit unlucky in the conditions. But at the same time, maybe that that gives them um, some notes or some scouting that they can draw upon later. Because mm -hmm. they've shown in the last two tournaments that they can hang. They, I guess, if the final was played in Auckland in 2015, they would have won. They they just right. went to the MCG. It's a different beast. And then they made the final in 2019. Oh, you've raised a very good point. Oh, we're going to talk about this. 2019 World Cup final. My friend, Vivek, mm -hmm. I put this to you, that New Zealand was robbed. Uh, <laughs> considering the rules of the game, I considered that New Zealand in that the game should not should not have ended the way it did. What, I what do you say agree about this? I 100%. <laughs> no, that was a sham. Uh, and... Uh, I was actually in the UK at the time. I covered Wimbledon. I had tickets to the Cricket World Cup semifinal and final. I attended the semifinal that India lost to New Zealand over both days. <laughs> Another mm. factor that played into India's defeat. And because India didn't make the final, uh, I sold my ticket. Mm. And I can't say it was a bad decision because I watched... Uh, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer play the Wimbledon final instead mm -hmm. and obviously that was an epic match and the way those two matches kind of coincided and went down to the wire at the same time was incredible but yeah I think there's no way the match should have ended like that there should have been some type of intervention to just say hey you play another super super over and you just keep going uh, to end it on a technicality like that was just horrific. And 
yeah, I, I don't think I would support, you know, a World Cup trophy being shared either. So, yeah, I think definitely they should have just kept going with the Super Overs until there was a, a legitimate winner. So, I'll meet you along the way. I'll meet you in the middle of the pitch, to use a cricket term. Um, <laughs> I, 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 absolutely. It, it was the wrong way to end the game. Uh, New Zealand and England, in my opinion, if they tied, they should just come back to play another game the next day because there, mm. there was a rain day provisioned in the schedule. So, flights would have been booked the day after anyway. There, there was time and the TV networks would have loved it from that perspective. So, uh, there's no yeah. excuse why they couldn't have done that. And then, if we go even deeper into the game itself, you may remember <laughs> deep in the run chase, there was that incident where... They screwed up the count back. Yeah, the, the ball's <laughs> thrown. It hits the bat of the the English batsman and goes for ben a boundary. Stokes, yeah. That should not have counted. In the rules of the game, that should not have counted. And that was essentially one of the boundaries that decides the game. Yep. That's – I'm not even from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> the English should be ashamed the way they're, they've been celebrating this one because New Zealand lost on on that. It wasn't really England winning. It was New Zealand losing on that technicality. Yep. And that's still problematic because I don't think they've changed the rules ever since then. Yeah, no, that I agree with you 100% on that. There should have been something and, you know, it's amazing as well. This is another thing that gets very technical. You know, English players love to jump at Ravi Ashwin about, you know, the spirit of the game and, and all that when it comes to, you know, running running out a batsman at the bowler's end. But all of a sudden, when you when you get four in a very questionable way you don't see them putting their hands up saying hey spirit of the game that shouldn't count <laughs> don't mate don't get me started on stuart broad not walking when he hits when he makes one all right <laughs> that ashes again england and spirit of the game don't get me started yeah <laughs> stuart exactly. broad peterson yeah it's all well and good when it's in your favor and then when it's not, it's like, oh, well, well, you shouldn't be doing that. That's very unbecoming of you. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> before, I, yeah. <laughs> before I blow up and blow a gasket, let me pass it to Kobe. <laughs> you know, just a, just a quick comment. Like, it's funny, you just mentioned it. So, I was thinking, like, Australia has the Ashes, right? Yep. Does India have a similar style tournament? Um, No, but funnily enough, there was uh, – let me just pull this up so so I get the get the player right. Yeah, uh, Pat Cummins, the current uh, Australian Test captain, said winning a Test series in India is bigger than the Ashes. Oh, mm-hmm. that's true. That's where like India in India is just an absolute fortress. Like I don't know. Th- think of you know Arsenal at Highbury at its peak or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, United at Old Trafford, like India in India is just absolutely ridiculous. And so I think that has sort of become the pinnacle for them, especially with the rivalry. I think now uh, more recently haven't gone to a new level with India actually winning in Australia, which is something that they had never done. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they've won back to back series there. So I think that spirit has shown up. And, you know, I think for a long time, India was always looked at as like the kind, timid, very much, you know, the gentleman of the sport. And Australia, you know, they kind of push it to the edge uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, whatever it takes to win. Yeah, the criminals. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's times where they've crossed the line as well. Scandal. uh, Scandal. That I won't get into. But yeah, absolutely. I I mean, not even just sandpaper, but even just this what's said around the wicket. Yeah. Uh, There are certain players, again, I'm not going to mention names. You know what I'm talking about, but there are certain players who said things that, yeah, you wouldn't say that at the pub, but they're saying it to get a competitive edge. I think Steve Waugh called it mental disintegration or something like that. And it was very much a strategy. It was a strategy to wear these players down before. The balls delivered, but mm-hmm. so yeah, I think all of that has factored into the rivalry. Where India now, 
I think especially, I, I would say it probably began with the Saurav Ganguly's captaincy and his, you know, attitude of just not giving a crap. And then it's carried over, especially now with Virat Kohli. And I think the entire team has kind of taken on uh, that energy. And this Indian group, I mean, part of why I love the uh, love watching this group is, you know, they give back as good as they get. You're, you're not going to come and say whatever you want and get away with it. Oh, that's awesome. Like, okay, so I'm I'm really new to cricket. I've always been aware of cricket. I I read the cricket headlines growing up because my mother's from Jamaica, actually. So mm. I was always aware of cricket, but I was never really a fan of cricket until this podcast. And he's been sort of bringing me along, teaching me a, a bit about cricket. And listening to the two of you discuss this and some of the history behind it and what's to come, I can't see how anyone who isn't a cricket fan wouldn't want to be at least mildly interested to check it out and see see what's up at the the World Cup, basically. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I actually enjoy the World Cup when it's on, watching cricket. I made that TikTok about it and I got a shit ton of people angry at me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> so basically, all I did was it, it was it was and forgive me, I, like I am so new to cricket to the point I don't understand all the tournaments. I don't know what game. I think it was like Pakistan versus. England, I think it was mm -hmm. recently, some of that in like November, maybe I could be wrong. Either way, I made a joke about uh, essentially it was two people kind of arguing with each other back and forth and like an ignorant American comes in and it's just like, what's this fake World Cup baseball knockoff thing that's going on? And like, bro, <laughs> the, the, the comments <laughs> I received. <laughs> where some people were defending me some were like no 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 he obviously knows what it is otherwise he wouldn't have made that joke others are just like burn him at the stake <laughs> I'm like Jesus Christ I'm sorry I'm sorry uh, and <laughs> it was bad y'all y'all be passionate as shit anyways uh, Vivek before we get you out of here there's a few things we gotta ask that are kind of a little more lighthearted and simple and probably won't get you burned at the stake <laughs> being in Canada for as long as you have now have you had a poutine before? Oh, uh, yes, I have. Perfect. Now, this will determine whether you actually come back onto the show or not. Uh, what is your style of poutine or your favorite type? Not sure how to, how to answer that uh, because I guess it's just, you know, the basic fries with, you know, the gravy and the cheese and cheese curds and traditionalist. Yeah. 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 That's fine. Pretty that's an acceptable answer. Kobe yeah. has bacon to his and I don't understand, but. That's fine. I'm, Can I'm Canadian, Justin. That's the difference there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, me adds kiwis and wombats, so it's, yeah. it's fine. Stop it. <laughs> you add schnitzel. I add schnitzel <laughs> and beer. Sauerkraut. <laughs> Sauerkraut. <laughs> yep. Uh, moving forward. And uh, where can our fans reach you on social media, Vivek? Uh, I am at Vivek M. Jacob on Twitter, on Instagram. I recently created a TikTok, but I have not. I I almost just created it to make sure I have the username, as opposed to, you know, one day maybe wanting to use it and being like, oh, someone has my username. Uh, so I I don't have any TikTok activity, so you don't really have to bother following me on there. But yeah, I think the the one thing I will add is I'm probably going to be tweeting more cricket from my main account. I. I have a, sort of a cricket uh, burner account called Play in the V. And that's where I was tweeting all my cricket stuff. But uh, I did a survey recently asking fans, you know, would they prefer a separate account for each sport that they can just follow whichever ones they like, or would they prefer an all-in-one? And about 80% of the people said they'd prefer an all-in-one. So you're going to get cricket tweets out of the main account too. Brilliant. Just gave you a follow, and I'm excited to learn more <laughs> about cricket via your tweets. It actually sounds like a very questionable account name. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing too, Kobe, but I wasn't going there. I wasn't going there. I wasn't, no. Nope, I could imagine nope. some of the follows. <laughs> yeah. Playing with the D. Ron Jeremy, why is he following me? <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. We went a bit long, Vivek, but that was, that's, that's a testament to you, buddy. It was great talking to you, man. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. 
for even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.